Hi, my name's Jenny and I'm going to bring you the Bible reading today from 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 to 19. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that on all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though somewhat, something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and, the God, and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Well, I don't know about you, but um, I, I think in the last few weeks I've really started to feel the, the impact of the um, shut down and the isolation and one of the things that I've really missed is um, our church community um, I mean, I've missed hanging out I've missed the face-to-face -face contact I've missed having coffee with people just hanging around worshipping together in person that is um, it's not that I have haven't spoken to many of you I have I have spoken to many of you and I, even one or two of you I've had a chance to walk with with our masks on um, but there's something about being together that 
can't be replaced. Seeing each other smile, hearing each other sing, eating together. So this morning I'm going to talk about Christian community from our 1 Peter 4 passage um, and what, what makes it unique and what makes it so strong. And I'm going to focus in on uh, the middle section of the um, of the of the uh, passage, verses seven to eleven. Um, in this section of the chapter, Peter says that the end is near; Jesus is going to return soon. When we do not know, but we must be alert and sober-minded, he says, and <clears throat> we must be focused on the priorities of the Christian life. Um, and one of the best ways to do this, he says, is to really make your Christian community strong. That, and that's the focus here. Um, develop those aspects of what it means to be authentically Christian community um, and, and, and focus on, on those things now because there's a power in that. And in these verses, he has um, sort of four main things that he talks about, which is mutual love, prayer, hospitality, and service to each other. Mutual love, prayer, hospitality, and service to each other. Now, I, I want to look at those things and just reflect on them a little bit about what it means for us now at this time, um, but also um, something for us just to be focusing on, reminding ourselves of who we're meant to be when we're separated from each other. Let's focus on mutual love. In verse 8, he says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, the Bible talks about love a lot. You would have heard me talking about it a lot this year and others preaching about it. Um, for example, John says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Paul says in Colossians 3, And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. We've heard love talked about a lot. It's not a new topic for us in church. But what's unique about what, what Peter's saying here in verse 8? Well, he says, he reminds us that for Christian community, he says, above all, um, love each other. In other words, this is the most important thing you can do. And this is a theme Paul also teaches doesn't he, in 1 Corinthians 13. This is the most important thing you can do. And he says it covers over a multitude of sins, um, the love of Christian community. And this is a riff on um, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, which says, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Uh, in another place, James writes, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. To cover sins um, sounds like he's saying that um, the sins won't be brought before God in the judge judgment. And when I was younger, I used to sort of think this, um, that what, what Peter's saying here and James was saying and the Proverbs was saying that you can receive forgiveness of sins um, by Jesus' death and resurrection, and also a second way, by someone's act of extreme love, by your own act of extreme love towards another. It's almost like there's two ways of, of receiving forgiveness of sins. But I don't think that is what it means at all, because this would be to diminish the power of Jesus' death on the cross, wouldn't it? It would be to lower the significance of that. 
What is more likely is that it means that when Christians mutually love each other in a godly way, it creates a healthy culture, a culture that minimizes wrongs done towards each other. The love gets in the way of bad behavior that might have previously happened. You hear about families, you hear about workplaces, sporting clubs, churches, where people have got into such a bad habit of, of uh, treating each other in an unloving way that a culture of toxicity has developed. People backstab each other and this leads to terrible, terrible sin uh, in this unloving context. Um, one of the ISO shows I've watched is this show Succession. Um, uh, there's two series that are online. Um, really, really powerful show. Sort of based on the, well, some say it's a bit like the Murdoch family um, around, you know, the sort of drama around the boardroom table. And it's about this the powerful billionaire um, CEO of a big media company, Logan Roy, who's the patriarch of his family. He's the old... old um, character in the in the picture there played by the actor Brian Cox and he's got his adult children around him and all but one of them uh, are involved in the company and they're all making some kind of power play all the time to to position themselves to be the next um, CEO after their father retires and um, we are talking about the, the sorts of behavior that you see in the show is like real extreme power moves backstabbing each other, politics, siding with the competitors, um, using sneaky boardroom strategies in the family dynamic. Um, you know, and there's this scene where Logan, um, who's the one of the sons who really thought he was going to be the CEO, um, says to his father, you know, um, do you think that I could have been the CEO? And his father says, no, you're not killer enough. He's not willing to destroy other people. He's not willing to destroy other companies and make the awful decisions to lay people off and to un undercut his opponents. Uh, so this is a real Shakespearean kind of drama um, TV show. Um, but it does show what happens when you push um, family or work the workplace to such extremes with, with people's self-absorption and self-destructiveness. Because when people are driven by self-interest and hatred instead of mutual love, the culture becomes toxic and people sin to hurt each other. And you see this in churches. You do. You can. Churches can resort to this, to this worldly kind of relating to each other, to slander, to gossip, to politics. And Peter has already said in this, in this book, in this letter, um, in chapter 2, he says, to put off all evil and all deceit and hypocrisies and jealousies and all backbiting. And in chapter 3, verse 9, he says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. So he's trying to encourage this church community in Asia Minor who are facing persecution um, to, to really make sure that love is the centre of their um, of their virtues, of, of who they are, because love actually will frustrate the sin. Um, it stops toxicity, toxicity and sin before it happens. Love is 
I was thinking about it. Love is like a sin vaccine. Love, sin is like the coronavirus. Think about it. Sin is like the coronavirus it, and sin needs a, a host to stay alive. And, it, and when it comes in the way of godly love, the vaccine, the sin dies in an instant like he's got no host. Um, one, one theologian explained it this way. Um, I said, you can tell when a person is motivated by godly love because when a private personal injury has been done to him, as though nothing has, uh, has occurred. So in this way, by simply ignoring the unkind act or the insulting word, he brings the evil thing to an end. It dies and leaves no seed. <clears throat> this consideration gives dignity and worth inestimable to the feeble efforts of the most insignificant of us to make love the controlling principle in our daily lives. So godly mutual love promotes unity and seeks to maintain relationships. And just thinking more about church community, it, it is really easier for us to annoy each other uh, in the same way as it is with family because we spend so much time together and we get so f familiar and comfortable with each other that after a while our irritating qualities really get on each other's nerves. And then also... Um, when different things happen in our lives and, and you know, um, we, we can be really hurt by things said or done to each other and carry those grudges. I have a friend who um, is an Anglican minister and he was telling me the, last week uh, that he was at the end of the service and it was, you know, um, he's in another state, obviously. They're allowed to be back in, in, in services again. And he, was, and he was at the end of the service and it had gone well. And a congregation member had gone up to his wife who, and she'd been sitting up the back of the church with the kids and complained bitterly because their son, who's quite young, was playing with a rubber band during the service and he was just flicking the rubber band in his fingers. And this congregation member was irate and was just having a go at his wife um, and this person was obviously not thinking about how hard it would be for the minister's wife to have to chase around three young kids at the you know during the service and and and, and instead of making her feel loved and supported and even helping um, with chasing the kids around, this congregation member chose to just criticise and um, cause her to feel isolated and unsupported. Uh, these are just a little examples of what happens in a church community life every, all the time. Little, little interactions that sometimes you can just brush off and at other times can really be hurtful. To show mutual love requires sacrifice, putting others before yourself, and requires a generosity of spirit, and requires emotional intelligence. And I often find that the people in churches who, who do make the most hurtful comments are often those who are lacking in emotional intelligence. Like it's often due to deep hurts themselves that they pass on those deep hurts to other people. And in fact, actually, we're all capable of this. Um, we all get tired and grumpy and uh, we all make mistakes. So what I try and do when somebody is not showing mutual love to me in the church community is I remind myself that God loves them and that they are made in his image and that they probably have secret hurts that 
I don't know about that drives them to be irritated and say things that are unhelpful. So what Peter's point here is, as we think about examples like this, is that for the church to survive in a time of suffering, for the church to survive for the long haul, it must be characterized by mutual love. This mutual love should make the church stand out. And, and what Peter's doing is, is he's criti- is contrasting the, the church community with um, the community of unbelievers around them. Look, if you look back in the chapter, chapter 4, verse 3, Peter says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. And in this section of the chapter, he's saying the same thing. He's saying, you used to behave in a sinful way, in an unloving way, joining in with the ways of the world, but now you don't. Um, and so there's supposed to be a contrast there that really will strengthen them, cause them to shine like lights in the, in the, in the village, in the, in the community. And let's not forget also that this mutual love within the church community will have um, an, a flow-on effect to love for neighbor, good Samaritan love. And he says that they should love each other deeply. Um, this is intentional love. It's, he's not talking about an emotion here. Um, it is not about an intense feeling towards each other, although you might have that as well, but you may not. And so what really matters is intentionality. And I do believe that our church is a loving church. I um, was reflecting on this with a friend recently that um, I'm, I feel blessed that we've got a loving church. We, we see people showing kindness to each other and forgiveness of each other and generosity. And we shouldn't underestimate the significance of that. That is so significant. We're not perfect. No church is. And perhaps you carry some quiet hurts about the way you might have been uncared for or ignored. Perhaps you carry that. And if this is you, don't let this eat away at you. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Reach out. You can either nurse your grievances or you can respond generously. And when you respond generously, you are showing mutual love and you're covering over a multitude of sins. Well, the second thing that Peter says um, is in the previous verse, and that's about prayer. I put love first because he's saying it's above all and it's the most important thing. And I put prayer second, not because it's less important, but it's in in Peter's argument. This is how he's sort of positioning things. And he says in verse 7, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. And he's already had this theme throughout the book of 1 Peter. Um, And the concept of sober-mindedness has already been there as well. The point is Jesus is coming back soon, so keep your wits about you. Be clear in your thinking. And do this so that you can have the right frame of mind so that you can pray. Knowing that you live in the final stage of history should motivate your prayers, he's saying. It should make you 
It shouldn't make you give up or be fatalistic. Knowing Jesus is returning shouldn't cause you to withdraw from society. The prayers Peter's encouraging here is not dreamy prayers. He's not saying, oh, just pray and stare off into the distance and, you know, in a haze. And he's not talking about desperate prayer like of a person who's not sure what's going on. He's talking about prayer that's based on the promises of God, no matter how terrible a situation the world is in. Prayer can be difficult for the person facing persecution. If the community around you looks down on your faith, if you are constantly criticized for or mocked in society, prayer can feel pointless sometimes. You might start to think prayer isn't working. And if your Christian identity is causing you to feel left out, the temptation is to back away from your faith. Even Jesus said that when trials come, the love of many of his disciples will grow cold, he said. So Jesus says, watch and pray. And Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. This kind of prayer makes for a strong Christian community. It's not an escapist drug. It's not saying, Jesus is going to return. You're, you're experiencing persecution, so just escape into a kind of meditation land. But it comes from a clear vision and a seeking of, a, a, of an even clearer vision from God. I was encouraged to read in the age that um, research has shown from um, Mark McCrindle's social research organization that during COVID, Australians are praying more. Uh, perhaps this is your experience. Um, and um, in the article, they interviewed a few sociology of religion um, people from around Australia, and they all said this makes total sense because uh, normally during a crisis, people pray more. The article says, um, social researcher Mark McCrindle surveyed 1,002 people between July 24 and 28 and found more than a third, so 35%, said they were praying more and 41% were thinking about God more. A quarter said that they were reading the Bible more. And nearly a half, 47%, said that they had thought more about their mortality and the meaning of life. And the article says, the research is showing that this COVID situation has rattled Australians and got them thinking about the big purpose of life, McCrindle said. It's got them reprioritizing their life. That's true, isn't it? And so for a church in Asia Minor experiencing persecution, pray. For a church in 2020 experiencing social isolation due to COVID-19, pray. Um, It's it's a benefit from being um, experiencing suffering that you are drawn closer to God. I have a friend, um, Melissa, who's in her 40, early 40s, and she, at the end of last year, um, had a series of deaths um, in her family, close friends and family members that, some were, that were un- unexpected. And, um, and she said that she was um, drawn to God and reconsidered her um, sort of eternal destiny and as a result became a Christian and got baptized at the end of last year. And this year during the COVID times, it's been a really strong source of strength for her. Um, Prayer is an important,
important. It's a crucial part of what it means to be a strong church. And, and when, we, when we become a praying church, we're providing a place for people like Melissa to be drawn to and to find solace. We are being the people we are meant to be. Uh, I've been so encouraged by the amount of prayer that's going on in our church um, this year, and um, especially the prayer project led by Beck. Um, and um, I think it's been so good to see each week, so, so, you know, three people for the last, I think this is the third week in a row we've had um, people praying um, from our congregation and, and the prayers going up online as well. Um, it feels like we have more prayer than ever at the moment in different forms. Prayer in the, um, in the lunchtime devotions and the prayer meetings before church as well. And in fact, other, other ministry organizations and ministers have been so interested in um, the prayer that's going on in our church um, that Beck has been asked to speak on several occasions on this in training sessions, explaining about um, prayer in the life of the church community and church plants. Um, I think this is great um, that uh, we can lead the way in this area and, and be a, a praying church. So when social distancing is all over, let's not give this up. Let's not just sort of go back to our old ways because this is who we're meant to be. So we've talked about love, we've talked about prayer and now hospitality. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. He's talking about a gracious hospitality that you show to each other and you don't complain. And to be able to do this, obviously, you need the love that we talked about earlier. There's an early church father, Clement of Alexandria, and he says that hospitality is basically the same thing as love. Um, if you want to demonstrate Christian love, really, the way you do it is you open your home to people. You provide a meal. You give people a bed for the night. That's true love. You share your resources. For us, it's similar. And we can extend it in other ways. You open your home for community group. And you might be able to think of reasons not to do this. But I bet you your reasons don't compare to the reasons that they would have had in Asia Minor. Because for the people Peter is writing to, for them to open their homes to church Christians worshipping, which is what he was asking for, um, for them to show radical hospitality and do, to do this, it came at a significant cost. It made them a target for persecution. So you might say, oh, you know, I don't want to open my home for community group because it's a bit small and I don't have, you know, nice things or something. Or you might say, I have too many nice things and I don't want people to <laughs> interfere with them and spoil my perfect setup. Whatever the case may be, you know, um, there's nothing compared to the, the risk that you would have been taking um, back then and also in many places in the world now um, where, for, where um, if you are a Christian, you, you receive significant persecution, um, death threats and even put in jail and, and killed. This is what radical hospitality looks like. You, you invite people into your homes and you don't necessarily know who they're going to be. Uh, your common 
Unity is around the, your faith, that you, your shared faith. You can't pick and choose the congregation members. And that goes for us today too. And this is another thing that people might be uncomfortable about opening their homes to other Christians is that they're uncomfortable about who that involves. And I'll let you in on a secret. Um, If you want to make my blood boil, be picky and choosy about who gets to be in your community group. Um, If you want to make my blood boil, do that because... That really makes me angry. It's the opposite of Christian mutual love, what Peter's talking about here. It's the opposite of hospitality. It's just selfish, it's lazy, it's ungodly. There's no no good reason for it. It's middle-class narcissism, really. What Peter is calling for is open-heartedness towards one another. He's describing a Christian hospitality that ministers to other believers with or without warm feelings and even when relationships are strained. And he's describing this open-heartedness even beyond official church meetings. As one writer put it, the church is to be a place of safety and well-being for its members, a place where common beliefs unite more than differences divide. Now, obviously, we are in exceptional times where the government has put tight restrictions on the practice of hospitality. Uh, We are not supposed to be opening our homes right now. In fact, if we do, we get fined. And, um, but this general attitude towards uh, the sharing of our resources and the support of one another still applies. And we are to keep a lookout for each other now. Stage four won't go on forever. In a few weeks, hopefully, we'll go back to stage three and then to stage two, and we may be able to open our homes again. We'll be able to have more contact. But now we can ring each other up, um, and we can do what we can uh, within the boundaries that are set before us by the government to keep each other safe. Lastly, I'll just look at service. The last section, verses 10 and 11. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And Peter is saying the strong Christian community serves each other. And he's using the same language as Paul about gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's like It's likely Peter is even aware of Paul's teaching and vice versa. They're backing each other up here. They're they're teaching the same point. Um, uh, Paul says in Colossians 3, 17, a very similar point. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, and that's kind of how Peter's breaking it up here, words and deeds, um, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks for God the Father through him. A strong Christian community involves people serving each other using their gifts. And I'm thankful for our church that we are blessed by so many people who serve each other, either in an official ministry capacity and also unofficially. This willingness to serve and get involved makes us strong, even when we are apart and cannot meet in person. So what have we learned this morning? We've learned from Peter that for the church community to stay strong in the face of persecution, 
and at all times, at times of COVID, um, it should remember that Jesus is coming back. And so we're to be distinctively Christian in our community. And this is achieved by, in four ways, mutual love for one another that functions as like a vaccine for sin, for the sin virus. Secondly, clear-mindedness so that you can focus on prayer. Thirdly, a gracious, open-hearted hospitality um, to fellow believers without grumbling. And fourthly, serving one another with the gifts of grace that you have received. And to quote verse 11, we do all these things so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.